A challenging weather year in hay country have left prices for livestock forage higher, but the cost and availability of hay is just one of many challenges facing America's cattlemen. Is there any sign of relief in the months ahead? That's today on Field Posts. Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Whether farmers and ranchers are dealing with severe drought in the northern plains and western states, or too much wetness in the eastern Corn Belt, weather is wearing on the hay market and leading to a challenging price situation. This week, we're joined by DTN editor and reporter Russ Quinn to dig into regional variations in the hay market where prices and availability have been throughout the season, and what might change in the coming months. We'll also talk about pressures beyond feed prices on cow-calf operators, dairy farmers, and feedlot operators alike, and discuss where some of the nation's finest hay is being put up, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN reporter and editor Russ Quinn joins us today to talk about a story he's been following for months, the U.S. hay market. Russ, it's been quite a year for the hay markets, um, even since, you know, since this time last year, give us kind of, start us off with a a kind of top line overview of, or what have happened with national hay prices over the last, you know, couple months? Well, they've, uh, they've really taken off as far as prices go, uh, this growing season, mainly because so much of the central part of the country has seen dry conditions, especially in the Northern Plains where the severe drought uh, in the Dakotas and even back into Minnesota and even in parts of Iowa was pretty dry this summer. And, and uh, so what that did was it uh, limited the uh, production of forages this spring. And and, and I say region, and we, you said regionally, and, and that is very true because it's a, it is almost a tale of two locations because in the Eastern Corn Belt, they almost had too much rain that uh, that uh, they have quite good hay production in the eastern corn belt, whereas in the northwestern, uh, what I would call it the northwestern corn belt, would be like I said, the Dakotas and, and Montana and uh, back east into Minnesota. That was the area that has seen um, severe drought, which has just wiped out production. Period. There, and then in turn, the the prices in in that area has risen because of basic supply and demand. When there's less of a demand or when there's less of a supply of something, um, 
uh, the demand is more and, and thus the price rises. So that's what we've been seeing, at least this growing season. Well, and you've talked a little bit in your reporting about, you know, the differences, part of the other, especially I think in the eastern part of the country, the other, one of the other factors in hay markets is, um, you know, just kind of questions for producers about herd sizes. Could you talk a little bit more about how um, those kind of, you know, livestock decisions are, are playing into what we're seeing right now in the hay market? Yeah, that that is that is a big factor. Again, in that northwestern plains, the Dakotas, Montana, those areas. Um, my colleague Chris Clayton went to North Dakota in the, earlier in the growing season and saw it for himself of all the, the cows going to sale barns in North Dakota. And this was like in June even. So, that, you know, at that point, the farmers ranchers up there knew that, you know, they weren't going to have the supply of forages available to them. And just the supply of forages weren't was it going to be enough to feed all these cows because there was literally no grass growing in many places, especially in north central North Dakota that was at the, the heart of the most severe of the drought was nothing was growing at all. So these ranchers decided at that point to liquidate parts of the herd. I wouldn't say that, you know, there might have been some that completely uh, sold out completely, but a lot of the, a lot of the ranchers were, uh, were trimming their herds down to get to the point that Either A, they could function with the limited amount of grass forage that they had, or B, they could function with enough uh, bought hay or other feedstuffs that they could uh, still financially get by because obviously if you buy a lot of uh, purchased hay, that, that's a, a very expensive feed cost that uh, that doesn't help their bottom line. So yeah, the, the, lim- the, the uh, herd liquidation did have a... Uh, effect on the, the hay supply. I had the, the uh, hay manager at the Rock Valley, Iowa uh, sale tell me that uh, that's Northwest, extreme Northwest Iowa. So he's really not that far from South Dakota. And uh, I can't remember if it was somebody he knew or if it was him that had some uh, land in Southeastern South Dakota. And he said that you didn't have to go too far from that area even that uh, the hay production was just nothing i mean grass they had a lot of grass they put up a lot of grass hay in south dakota compared to iowa where they cut up a little bit more alfalfa but he, he, he just said it was just unbelievable, unbelievable as far as you would go out there and normally these lush rolling hills would be you know have tons of hay on it per acre and uh, this summer they're just they're just was nothing because again it, it didn't rain yeah we've heard a lot of stories about how um yeah, how dire things are looking in some parts of the country. I'm curious, though, in terms of those producers, are those decisions being made pretty equally both on the beef side and on the dairy side? Or are dairies kind of looking at this hay price situation a little differently? What have you seen in your reporting? Yeah, that's that's a good question. That uh, how, do the two dairy, how do the two cattlemen handle it between the beef and the dairy? I, I did talk to uh, Dale Lesline, the manager of the Dyersville Sales Company in Dyersville, Iowa. That is extreme northeastern Iowa, uh, pretty close to Wisconsin, a very dairy area. And uh, he said that the uh, situation was considerably different over there. He said hay prices were slightly lower than last year at this time there. And the reason for that was it was increased production. Again, they have both beef and dairy, but there's a lot of dairy in that northeastern Iowa, southwestern Wisconsin. 
area, but uh, they had uh, increased hay production, and uh, but they also have the same issues that's affecting that I was just talking about as far as uh, herds being limited, except on the dairy side, it's because of the uh, they're uh, both with the lower milk prices and, and the lower beef prices. They're both losing money feeding cattle. And that pushed a lot of the nearby livestock producers in the region to liquidate their herd numbers. Uh, Lesline told me that uh, he knew of se several dairy farms, and again, nearby Wisconsin, who have de decided to get out of the business. And he said these were larger 600 cow dairies now, because I, I, in my mind, I thought maybe it was, you know, the smaller hundred, maybe a couple hundred head of cow dairies that were getting out of it. But, uh, but he said, no, it was, it was the little bit larger five, 600 cow dairies that were getting out of it. Uh, but on the other end of the scale with, with the increased production, he said that this was probably the first cutting of alfalfa when I talked to him this year was uh, they produced a large amount of alfalfa in the first cutting this year because uh, of how there was rain this spring not not too much rain but there was enough and uh, then they had a stretch of dry weather there in, in the first part of may middle of may when they actually put it up and they got the crop put up with no rain at all and he, he told me that that might have been the highest quality uh, hay cutting that he would seen in his 25 years of cutting or uh, selling hay in northeast iowa but again the problem is that there is decreased demand for the hay because of a lot of the livestock producers in that part of the world uh, getting out of the business. The regional variations are almost unbelievable. And I'm curious what you have heard about what that means for trucking. And, you know, has there, have you seen a dramatic increase in, you know, hay traveling further distances, whether that's, you know, within the Midwest or up to the Northern Plains or even, you know, out to, the, the drought, the extreme drought in the western part of the United States with California and um, even down in New Mexico and Arizona. Does it seem like people are willing to take hay or that the price is accommodating the, the more distant shipping of hay than previously? Well, I think if they get the hay priced at the right level and they can get it shipped at the lesser amounts, I think people would be willing to do that, but financially it doesn't make any sense if you're gonna ship hay from say Illinois out to the Dakotas, if it's, you know, if the hay is expensive and if the trucking is expensive. I talked to a producer in uh, West Central Illinois, uh, Maria Cox, and uh, a, a few years ago when it was dry in Missouri, she has, she has, has cattle, but she also sells some hay. And she said that in the past that they had shipped cattle or they shipped hay to as far away as Missouri before, but she would be willing to, to uh, sell hay to the people from the Dakotas. But I imagine the um, financials of driving a truck that far and then bringing hay back probably just doesn't work out with uh, the price of diesel fuel now. And the other factor that's uh, at work here is a factor with all trucking is in the fact that they they have such an issue with finding enough people to drive the trucks um, that's been a, a big problem with the supply chain this summer with almost anything that is in short demand now is you you read and, and you talk to people and yeah there, there there's probably 
some tapered supply due to the COVID concerns of past of the past year plus. But on the but the bigger one of the bigger problems is they just can't get enough people to actually drive the trucks. There's a, there is a truck driver shortage, and a lot of these trucking firms will offer bonuses uh, or higher pay just to try to get more people to uh, actually do the trucking. So that, that, that factors in too with as far as uh, shipping hay long distances is, yeah, it probably would work, but boy, there's a lot of wild cards right now that's working against doing this. Absolutely. I'm curious too, you know, as you look ahead, it seems like we're getting some indication that the drought in the Northern Plains is likely to persist uh, at least through the winter months. And, you know, potentially it's very hard to predict the weather in the far distance, but it could persist for a while. Um, you know, as this season kind of wraps up, are you hearing from folks that they're thinking differently about going into 2022 as far as hay goes or as far as, I mean, obviously folks who are adjusting herd, um, herd sizes are doing that, but yeah, are you? What are you hearing from from farmers and and other folks in agriculture about what how they're thinking about the next you know season as far as getting the hay that they need to run their businesses? Yeah, and I think it's going to be, continue to be a tale of, of two locations because I think in the east of the Mississippi River you're going to have a pretty good supply of hay. Um, I think I also talked to a producer in indiana that puts up hay and he said yeah that they've had great i mean the only issue he had was trying to get enough days in between cuttings to keep his hay from being rained on and actually getting it put up okay but production wise he said yeah they they should have good uh, production so you think areas in the eastern corn belt and maybe even all the way to the eastern seaboard would see pretty good uh, forage production Whereas, you know, west of the Mississippi um, to the Dakotas to, to, like you said, the western, even in the western mountain region and further west, you know, those are the areas that just did not see much growth this summer as far as uh, plant growth for forages. So, you know, those are the areas that are not going to have a very good supply of, of hay. And it just kind of depends, like we just talked about, is how much of this hay can be shipped into those areas and is it financially viable for it to occur? And if it is great, they'll, they'll probably do it. But if it isn't, I, I don't know what's going to exactly happen in the Dakotas and, and Montana and Wyoming and, you know, those areas that have a lot of cattle um, in those areas. And I'm talking cow calf, uh, the business of cow calf pairs. Um, yeah, will will more liquidation for the these cow calf producers continue in through the fall and once we get into winter? And I know a lot of them have winter pastures that they can they stockpile grass through the fall, and then you know in areas that don't have a lot of snowfall, they can continue to graze through the, the winter time. But again, it, it had to have rained to produce a forage grass, and if it hadn't, so obviously they can't do that. So again, they would have to purchase some sort of feedstuff to feed their herd. But again, if there isn't much to feed them, the price for what is there is going to be that much higher. And I think that perhaps there will be more liquidation coming if 
they don't have anything to, you know, if they have a limited supply of forages to feed their uh, stock during the winter time, is, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you go into further debt and buy more feedstuffs when cattle prices aren't exactly great to start with? Or do you cut your losses and and uh, and go from there? And I, I, I don't say this flippantly because I also farm and I also have a cow-calf herd and you know, I know how long it takes to build it to the level of you know genetics that you want it. I mean, it's a long-term deal. It's 10, 20, 30, 40 years of genetics at work. And it's, you know, it's hard for cattle producers, cow-calf producers, just to pull the plug and everything and say, well, I, I can't do this financially. So I think there's a fine line that a lot of them are going to have to tiptoe as far as keeping enough of their herd that they can, you know, when it does decide to start raining again, and hopefully that's next growing season and everything, quote, goes back to normal, and then they can uh, restock their herds with the, the genetics that they want. But, uh, yeah, you spend a good chunk of your life uh, building your herd, and, you know, my herd is small compared to the, the herds that are hundreds of cow, hundreds of cow, hundreds of cows and, you know, in the intermountain region, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a I know it is a, a tough deal for those folks. Russ, we'll be right back to you right after this quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities, and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. And we're back with DTN reporter and editor Russ Quinn. Russ? Well, and I'm curious too, you know, not only are there these kind of weather headwinds and the price of hay and some of these other factors, but there's also just the really high price, especially when you look up towards like the feedlot operators, the price of grain is also very high, which, you know, is something we celebrate for, for grain producers, but, you know, there's always that other side of the coin. Are you seeing or do you expect, you know, changes, further changes in grain price, potentially increases in grain price to to affect the hay market or uh, these livestock producers? Well, uh, on the cow-calf side, I don't I don't think the price of grain would affect them too much. I mean, I, obviously some of them would, would supplement their, their cow-calf pairs with, with grain. But yeah, well, like you mentioned, it's the feedlot that are going to suffer from higher, uh, you know, they, they just had a, had a and I, I know this is the overused term that everybody uses way too much, but it has been almost a perfect storm of factors coming together to lower the profitability of feedlots between higher feed prices, between higher corn prices and higher forage prices. And between that and then, of course, the market, the, the, the cattle market, the beef market, uh, with their issues this summer between lower cattle prices and the beef, if you will, between uh, producers and packers, between uh, profitability levels. I know that 
hearing from a lot of uh, cattle producers that they're not very exact, exactly excited right now with the Packers since they're making hundreds of dollars per head and they're losing hundreds of dollars per head. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting situation that ultimately has to be solved enough to keep feedlot owners in business because it you know obviously Packers need the a supply of cattle from the feedlot guys and the feedlot guys obviously need the supply of calves and that comes from the cow calf side of the business so you know it is a it is a cycle it is a, a big you know business that everybody has to do well to keep the whole cycle in in, in business so yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know in the coming months this winter in the next spring as far as because obviously the cow, the, obviously the feedlots can't hang on forever. That they have to see a period of, of profitability to maintain to be in business. So, and that same, I'm I'm no market expert. Uh, I've been I've had cattle pretty much my whole life, but it does seem like at some point though the market does turn around enough, and then cattle producers become profitable again, and and then they can hang on and, and make some money and the whole sector becomes a little bit healthier. But uh, yeah, they've, it, the summer has been not a good time to be a uh, feedlot operator. That, that is for sure. You know, I think when we hear about, especially these severe droughts that we're seeing in the Northern Plains and elsewhere in the country, you know, one of the big stories is always about emergency hang and graying and, and kind of how the ag community steps up. Um, when when folks are in crisis, I wonder what you've been hearing about that kind of um, situation and how you know producers who have been particularly affected has there been have they been able to find the kind of assistance they need to um, to kind of deal with like the the shocks that are a little bit more you know maybe individual in terms of being able to just keep animals alive. Yeah, I, I think you'll see that in any type of uh, weather disaster. Uh, I know several years ago that I went down to southwestern Kansas the year after the wildfires that affected ranchers in um, southwestern Kansas, down in the panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, they told me that they were very appreciative of the cattlemen from other parts of the country donating hay. In fact, I went in Ashland, Kansas. There was a donation center. Mind you, this was a whole year after the fact, but you know, they had piles of hay still, and they had piles of fence posts, and they had piles of bob wire, barbed wire and fencing supplies and, and everything in this one area. And this, essentially, the, the ranchers of the area would come to this area and get stuff whenever they, they needed it. So, you know, I think those type of situations will certainly continue. And it may be those people that were helped in the past helping the Northern Plains ranchers uh, so it's kind of a role reversal and that, you know, that's rural folks helping other rural folks. And, but you mentioned CRP and, and that was an interesting, uh, this summer, of course, CRP is a conservation reserve program, uh, administered by the USDA. And it is partially a wildlife program. They're trying to keep birds in those areas and those acres. And, uh, one of the things that I heard a lot though, this summer was, why couldn't they release those acres earlier 
because you know it's not exactly great hay to start out with but it's it is forage hay i mean it's forage is better than, than nothing but if it wasn't released until i think it was august the first or maybe it was late august um well you know even a month earlier even two weeks earlier would have made a big difference in the quality of the hay and and from talking to a few producers and then seeing their comments on twitter was a lot of them from the dakotas really were upset that the government wouldn't release those acres two three four weeks earlier because that month of difference was a huge difference in the quality of the hay it went from you know okay they would have cut it in july good quality forage that would have helped them to well it's forage you know maybe they grind hay they can grind good hay and bad hay to make a bunch of decent hay but uh yeah they the, the, the farmers in really drought affected areas i should say farmers farmers ranchers cattlemen in those areas were were not very excited and, and you know it's, it's a balancing act by the government because again it it is a conservation reserve program and you know, they're trying to build up bird numbers and if you go in there and cut hay too early you you risk killing hatching birds and and that's what somebody had on twitter was that's why the government doesn't want you to cut hay until the this hay until august so the the hatching birds are all hatched and out of the nest before you go in there and essentially destroy their nest so it it is a balancing act for the the government to but at the same time i would think that um, and this is just my opinion uh, being a farmer, cattleman, ag reporter, is if they could have released it a month earlier, it would have been extremely helpful to those cattlemen in the Dakotas because uh, that would have been a pretty good supply of hay and it would have been a better quality than it ultimately ended up being. So, yeah, it, it, there are a lot of nothing is as simple, you know, nothing is, is black and white. That's certainly one thing I've learned being an ag reporter the last 20 three 24 years whatever it's been is yeah from the surface from you know the the far away view you know it it would seem just just go ahead and cut it just just get the hay cut get it out to these cattlemen but when you get a close-up view of the situation it obviously is much more complex uh like i said with the wildlife factor in in there as far as the crp goes but um, but yeah it's certainly been a challenging growing season and everybody i've talked to just really hopes that it uh, decides to start raining this fall and they get a lot of snow in the Dakotas this winter. And hopefully by next spring, then when the next growing season comes around, that they've had some soil moisture built up. And uh, hopefully next growing season is not nearly as dry as it's been this growing season. Last question is just, you know, in terms of whether it's a, a hay story or something else, what are the stories that you're, as we head into the kind of heart of harvest and, and out the other side, what are you going to be watching most closely uh, this fall in terms of stories that might be affecting uh, agriculture going into 2022? Well, again, I, I write quite a bit about forages and, and grazing type of issues. And it seems like in a lot of Octobers that I end up writing about late season grazing I know that one time I wrote about grazing alfalfa instead of getting the last cutting off a lot of, especially in the Northern Plains, a lot of the uh, cattle producers will just run their cows on alfalfa and uh, then that'll get them into the winter months as far as grazing goes. But it would be interesting to see what happens this late grazing season, especially in that part of the country, because 
probably not a whole lot of alfalfa growing the way it is. And I and I know that in some parts of North Dakota and in the Northern Plains that they have seen a little bit more rain in the second half of the growing season compared to the first half, where there's a lot of areas didn't see any moisture at all. And they have seen some storms. We're talking to our ag meteorologist, John Brannick, uh, the heart of the Northern Plains has seen some store, storm fronts move across the Dakotas, uh, Montana, and eastward in the August and, and then September. So they're probably not, as, you know, again, it, it probably didn't hit every area. And I wouldn't say every area is improved, but they've seen a little bit of more uh, moisture. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see this fall, what the situation is heading into winter. What there is grazing that can happen this fall, or if, or if the producers decide that they want some growth on these uh, forage grasses, uh, pasture grasses, rangeland grasses, and they pull their herds off completely just to get some growth going into winter because, of course, uh, cold weather, lots of cold weather in, in that part of the country in the winter time, and if you have have small plants that are mowed down to the ground that a lot of times that's not good for those plants to survive winter and overwinter in that condition and then you can uh, lower the viability of grasses into the next year as some they go dormant and then they grow the next spring is is you kind of limit the amount of uh, plants that can make it through the winter over winter so i, I there's that balance again i, I use this term a lot in the last 25 minutes is that balancing act of trying to get some forages for your livestock, but not at the expense of long-term uh, production of the pastures, rangeland, uh, grasslands, whatever it may be, because obviously the long-termness is, is what all these producers are looking at. But at the same time, you've got to survive today to, to make it till tomorrow. So again, it's, it's It'll be interesting to see what happens exactly this fall up there in that region. The other area that I cover very closely is retail fertilizer prices. We track retail fertilizer prices uh, mainly even in the Corn Belt here at DTN. But I think that is, you know, they all it's all kind of tied together uh, with the fertilizer prices right now are at historic highs. Um, a lot of the different type of eight major fertilizer types. Uh, several of them are at uh, decades high prices right now. Um, there's lots of factors of going on of what's going on there with supply issues and and a lot of demand last spring because of higher prices, higher commodity prices. But you know these we focused a lot on on the, the growers of the Dakotas and, and the Northern Plains, and I know that a lot of the rangeland don't hit get hit with fertilizer, uh, but uh, you know, a lot of the forage crops will, as far as uh, alfalfa, and some some pastures will will get fertilized. So, any any crop production is going to face considerably higher input prices come next spring because this year uh, the fertilizer prices started to rise a year ago about this time in the in the fall. But a lot of farmers already had their fertilizer prices locked in. For the 2021 growing season not all but some did so uh, the higher fertilizer prices really did not affect too many farmers this growing season but what is going to happen is obviously they didn't book 
fertilizer two years out. So the 2022 growing season is going to see considerably higher. Uh, and it's probably just not fertilizer prices. It's probably ag chem prices. It's probably seed prices. Everything is going to go up because of the higher uh, commodity prices that we've seen for about a year now. But uh, that, that just makes the margins for any sort of crop endeavor that much tighter in going into 2022. And I, I talked to retailers, fertilizer retailers and, and uh, extension folks and uh, fertilizer insiders and so forth. And they are very concerned about what's going to happen this fall and next spring as far as fertilizer goes. Not so much for prices, because obviously there's not much we can do with prices, but they're more concerned about the availability and and the supply of fertilizer. Again, I used this term before, but it is almost like a perfect storm again of factors all coming together, pushing fertilizer prices between, like I said before, uh, the higher demand that we saw last spring of farmers having uh, better income to afford the fertilizer, to apply a little bit more fertilizer. Well, that drained the supply channel this spring and uh, the industry is still trying to recover from that. And then the summer we had uh, various issues. Uh, I know that uh, with the the, uh, shipments of potash, or not potash, phosphorus from different parts of the world, there was a uh, ruling against uh, these imports into the US which will now limit the amount of imports into the U.S., which is not good for supply. And then you factor on top of that, weather concerns of the winter storm we had last February, which shut down a lot of plants in the Texas, Louisiana area, which includes fertilizer plants in those areas. And then a pile on top of that, the uh, Hurricane Ida that blew through that region in the first part of September, or I think it was like the 30th, end of uh, August, beginning of September. Well, that ended up shutting down fertilizer plants in that area too. So (laughs) what I'm getting at is there could be some supply type of issues, especially if it is a big fall, a big application season. I know a lot of, not all soils can have fertilizer applied after harvest. I know there are sandy soils and and like in Nebraska in the Platte River Valley, you can't apply much fertilizer in the fall, but there are a lot of other areas that can see fertilizer applied in the fall. And so if, the, if it is a big, if we do have an early harvest, which it appears it's going to be, and there is a wide open window after harvest before winter starts in a lot of the Corn Belt, is there going to be an, enough supply of fertilizer to get out what is needed to be out? Or are some farmers not going to be able to apply this fall, not because of you know price concerns, but because of supply concerns? So again, I know I said this before too that uh, it'll be interesting to see what we see this fall. But it will be interesting to see what we see this fall when it comes to uh, fertilizer application, uh, fertilizer price, and fertilizer supply. Price is going to be high because it is already high, but it will be interesting to see how much supply uh, the retailers have and if we have any availability or but man, maybe it's more logistic issues than anything else. Maybe, as I mentioned before, too, about the trucking shortage of truckers 
you know, are we going to have enough people out there to, to get the fertilizer out to the farmers and the out to the fields? So again, there, there's a whole lot of factors that work here, and it will be kind of fascinating to see what exactly happens in October and November, and maybe even in December if Mother Nature doesn't uh, start winter too terribly early. To read more of Russ's extensive reporting on hay markets or his work on fertilizers, ag chemicals, and beyond, visit DTNPF.com or subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Russ Quinn. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.